This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Webbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. We've got to the end of another week. We've all finished our work, except Sue Gray. Uh, we wait to see what's happening on that front. It's clearly going to be next week, isn't it? If not, later. Uh, so, but don't worry, we've got plenty coming up on the podcast today. If you want to come on the radio, uh, come and play our quiz, Can You Get to Number 10? Ten questions loosely connect ten cabinet jobs. The more questions you get right, the better the job you get. Taking a place alongside listeners and guests. If you come on, you get a certificate if you make it into the cabinet. And throughout February, you can come on and anybody who does the quiz can get two tickets to my stand-up tour. So loads of reasons to come on the radio. If you want to do that, email me with your details, matt.chorley at times.radio, and we'll get you on the radio very soon. And if you don't want to come on the quiz, but you do want to come and see me uh, on tour, you can just go to the website, mattchorley.com. Right, coming up on today's episode, our big thing today, remember all those reports about spiking in nightclubs, both spiking drinks and even injections? Uh, Well, we've um, been finding out about the full scale of the problem. We'll hear from the police, we'll hear from MPs, uh, paramedics, uh, and even uh, victims of uh, spiking incidents. That's coming up on our big thing today. But first, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel on a Friday. It's Formel, as everyone's calling them. It's James Forsyth and Melanie Reid. Let's start with tax. And uh, depending on who you read today, James, Boris Johnson is mulling or he's wobbling or he's poised to mull and wobble. You speak to the people who matter in the corridors of power when they're not having a party. What, how, how wobbly is the Prime Minister, do you think, on the, on the National Insurance Rise plan for April? Uh, I think he's fairly wobbly on the grounds that these Tory MPs who come to see him in his common study to basically say what they want him to do if they are to kind of still have confidence uh, in him are saying, you know, cancel it, cancel it. We don't like it. It's going to make the cost of living crisis worse. I mean, the problem for Boris Johnson is if he were to cancel it, there would then be MPs on the other side of the party, MPs such as Jeremy Hunt, who say, look, we, we wanted a sustainable solution for social care for ages. This is how you were going to pay for it. If you're, if you're cancelling this rise, you're back to square one. Now, I think what Boris Johnson might be tempted by is looking at some kind of, you know, maybe you delay it for a year and say, oh, look, 
We're still going to do it, just not now, because you know inflation and energy prices. You know, it's, it's the wrong moment. I, I think the, the prospect of the prime minister delaying a tax rise for a year and then doing it a year closer to a general election is is to, is to put it mildly unlikely. Uh, I think if it is delayed, it is unlikely to ever happen. Uh, but I think this is a sign of the pressure that Boris Johnson has been put under by his own party. And at the moment, he is in a kind of full on operation to kind of shore up his position. So when the Stu Gray report kind of finally comes, uh, he is able to say, look, I know this report is embarrassing and it's difficult, but look at all these other things that I've done that you like. Um, so please don't send letters to Graham Brady. Uh, to what extent is this sort of just internal, internal Tory party politics? Because obviously Tory MPs voted for this back in September, including the cabinet uh, members who are now so keenly letting it be known that they're not um, happy with it. Are they just exploiting Boris Johnson's um, uh, current troubles to, uh, to, to you know, signal to the right of the party, whatever it might be, um, uh, that this is, you know, now they're not happy with it? Or, or is this... Um, a broader sign of where the Conservative Party is economically? I think the reason that only three cabinet ministers spoke out against it when the cabinet first discussed it in September was because the prime minister was known to want it and he had sufficient political authority at that point uh, and all the cabinet were expecting a reshuffle which came shortly afterwards, but they all kind of rode in behind rode in behind it because you know it was what he wanted i think it is a sign that his authority is less that people are floating this and also i think just how bad this cost of living crunch is going to get is beginning to 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 really hit home to cabinet ministers you know just uh next month you're going to have an announcement of how much the energy price cap goes up by and you know it, it is going to be a huge amount it's going to have a material effect on how much uh, disposable income households have at the end of every month. Uh, and so I think there is a kind of, there is a nervousness about this. But I also think that this is a moment, you know, if you want to put pressure on Boris Johnson, now is the right moment to do it because <laughs> he, he, is, he is very keen not to upset any more MPs than he absolutely has to. Uh, Melanie, we have this sort of slightly odd, odd situation where, you know, Nicola Sturgeon is, is queen of all she surveys in most things, but not when it comes to setting... National insurance. So no. this is Boris Johnson's tax rise, uh, but it will, you know, ultimately the money, you know, through we don't get bogged down in Barnets, uh, the Barnet formula. But the, the money, the people in Scotland will see their, um, their their tax bills go up, but the money will find its way back uh, to Scotland too. So how is this playing in Scotland? Well, uh, she she will sit and watch this, and of course make political capital out of it. <laughs> um, she either makes capital out of the fact he's he's so weak that he, he's prepared to do anything to survive. Um, and uh, or, or uh, if he does put it up, she will then, she, you know, it, 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 it's like manna from heaven because she can turn around and say, oh, the cost of living crisis, it's all down to, to the horrible Westminster government and what, what we need is, a, is an independent Scotland and then we, we've been a land of, of, uh, of, uh, of honey, you know. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's win-win for her. To be absolutely honest, presumably she can, what, she can go sort of even further. So on the one hand, you've got you know um, Keir Starmer's in Scotland today, and he's going to be saying, "Oh, the it's terrible. The government they're not doing enough on the cost of living." Nicola Sturgeon can is sort of it has a sort of extra win-win in that she can say it's absolutely terrible that Boris Johnson's hammering people with his national insurance wise, and it'll go ahead anyway. If it does go ahead, then she'll get the money and can announce some extra spending um, without yes. getting the blame for having put the tax up. 
Yeah, I mean, it, 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 they do play the game. I mean, they do play the game very well, the SNP. I mean, you know, you've, you've got to admire them. And I, I, Labour is trying its best. I mean, it's, it's very interesting that Keir Starmer's up here because, uh, you know, Labour, Labour are hoping to creep back into second place. They're hoping to capitalise, obviously, on 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 the, the 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 crisis in the Tory Party and the, especially the way the, the Scottish Tories are are um, in a particularly awkward situation with regard to Johnson. So uh, you know the, the Labour are banging the drum and uh, hoping very much to 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 uh, to come up the middle. You know, and is there any sign of that of that working in uh, in Scotland? I mean, Labour have had several reinventions and iterations to try and. Uh, you know, get back to whether you know they used to dominate Scottish politics, and under successive leaders, that doesn't happen. Is Anasawa having an impact? I think, the, yeah, I think he, he is. He is. He's certainly more effective than previous ones. Uh, I mean, they are a shadow of what they were. I mean, it's 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 laughable how 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 little power they have now compared to compared to the, 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 the complete, I mean, it was a fiefdom, a Labour fiefdom, but uh, Scotland, but, you know, they, I think Sawar is, is doggedly, he's, he's personally seems quite charming and fresh and clever, articulate, and he is doggedly sort of rebuilding. Um, it, the big question that still haunts them, of course, is how they deal with, uh, with any independence question going into going into an, um, um, an election, do they do they ban it completely, or do they sort of, in some way, contemplate having uh, opening the Labour Party to uh, to an independence idea? You know. Yeah, it's really interesting that because Labour, I think, mm. are from all the Labour people in Westminster I've spoken to, they are very nervous about a repeat mm. of the uh, you know Ed Miliband in uh, Alex Salmon's pocket um, yeah. you know Ed Miliband in Nicola Sturgeon's pocket you know and actually Nicola Sturgeon doing very well on the national stage in the general election made people mm-hmm. think in England I think blimey she's good you know mm-hmm. you'd want her on your team if you were in Scotland but <laughs> she's not on our team if we are in England and she would eat Ed Miliband alive and you just wonder whether there might be that slight concern about that interaction between Keir Starmer and Nicola Sturgeon yeah and you can visualise. I mean, you could visualise a, a general election in which the Tories falter. Um, Keir Starmer does well, but doesn't doesn't get a, a you know is a hung. It's, it doesn't get a full majority, and um, he would need then uh, to uh, you know if he wanted to some sort of you know slightly liberal left wing left of centre coalition, he would have to turn to people like the SNP to to uh, get into power. So it's it, it's fascinating. How much thought do you think James is going into? Uh, you know, at the moment, the Conservatives are down a lot in the polls. Uh, Labour, uh, actually, what seems to be happening is a lot of the Conservative vote is just going to don't know rather than um, uh, direct to the Labour Party. I think a quarter of the 2019, in the latest YouGov poll for the Times, a quarter of the 2019 Conservative vote is going to don't know. Only five percent of the twenty nineteen Conservative vote is going to the Labour Party. So, is, do you think is there much thought going on within the Labour Party about what to actually do? I mean, about Scotland and about Nicola Sturgeon. Yeah, I, I think there is, and I think the I think the the current view is that you, that that they should kind of quite aggressively call the SNP's bluff. Basically, say we're not going to give you anything. It's your choice if you want to put the Tories back in, uh, and. You know, considering that the SNP are still attacked in Scotland for the decision to 
uh, vote against the Labour government in 1979, which brought it down and caused a general election, which brought Margaret Thatcher to power. Uh, I think the SNP will be wary about doing that. But I think that one of the uh, facts about British politics that we don't think about enough is that the Tory party are essentially uncoalitionable. They have to win a majority at the next election to govern because the Lib Dems won't go into government with them. You know, look how it turned out for them last time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The DUP aren't going to prop them up because, again, look how that turned out for them last time. Uh, and so, you know, they don't have any potential coalition partners. So they have to get 326 seats uh, at a minimum because if they can't do that, they can't govern. Even if they got, you know, even if they got 300 seats and were clearly the largest party in Parliament, they would not be able to put together a government because they have no potential coalition partners. It's really interesting that, and ultimately that, you know, I know we're some way off a general election, but ultimately, you know, some of that game playing will be going on uh, behind the scenes. Um, just finally then, before I let you go, uh, English Heritage have put Barnard Castle on its list of some of the... Uh, the uh, Barnard Castle apparently enjoyed its best ever year for tourists in 2021. People going there, obviously, because of Dominic Cummings' eye test. Um, obscure uh, political locations that could become tourist attractions is what I've been asking people for. Lots of people have said uh, the beach where Neil Kinnock fell over. Uh, Robert says Porlock Hill where Rinker the dog uh, met uh, his demise. Um, Phil in Blackpool says the Plough Inn where David Cameron left his daughter. These are This is exactly the sort of things we want. Have either of you got a niche political spot that you think could become a, a tourist hotspot? Can can I can I sort of it would have to be Scottish heritage, but could I suggest Ian Blackford's Croft on Sky? Oh, very good. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Um, take... I mean, he, yeah, he's a humble. He is just a humble a crofter. Humble crofter. You, do, you do know. <laughs> 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 he could he could have a cake. He could have a cake stall outside or something. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> it was so humble. Of course, it, it, didn't Boris, Boris Johnson went there on holiday? He was very nearby, wasn't he, to uh, his humble croft when he was staying in that tent, the bell tent. And there was a debate yes. about whether or not the farmer would let him in. That's very good. We'll put that on the list, uh, Melody. James, have you got one? Well, I, I would like to suggest Granita, the, the restaurant where Tony Blair and, and Gordon Brown had that infamous meal that caused so much misunderstanding between them. Uh, but sadly, I think it's now turned into another restaurant called Desperados. <laughs> which is which is somehow entirely uh, fitting as well. Granita, of course, is where Tony Blair and Gordon Brown did the deal, supposedly, that said that Tony Blair was going to run and Gordon Brown was cross... Well, I mean, let's be honest, he's still cross about it now. Uh, but he's been cross <laughs> I think about one it of the one of the funny things about it is it is it shows you how much the world has changed. You, you couldn't do that now because of camera phones. You know, if two senior politicians in a leadership race went and sat down to have dinner to work out which one of them was going to run, you know, it would be all over <laughs> Twitter in, in, in minutes. Yet Tony Blair and Gordon Brown sat and had this long dinner Amazing. discussing it all. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, there, there, there are no pictures of it. You know, it, it, is, it is a sign of, the, of how of how the kind of camera phone and social media have, have changed uh, the nature of politics in that way. You know, politicians have far less privacy in those kind of things than they used to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, if, uh, if Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss go to Anandos, we'd know about it pretty quickly. Melanie Reid and James Forsyth, then, of course, you can read them in The Times every week. James on a Friday, Melanie's in The Times Saturday magazine on a Saturday, where you can also catch my column in the comments section on a Saturday. Uh, just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash timesfedbox. Up next, we take a look at the spiking epidemic in our nightclubs. Hold up. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. Nightclubs are up and running again across the UK. They're throwing open their doors in Wales from today. Uh, Scotland and uh, England have already followed. But COVID-19 is the only thing that people are worried about. Police have confirmed the number of cases of spiking being reported has increased significantly over the last year. So how safe is it if you're heading out clubbing tonight? The Home Affairs Select Committee has been leading an inquiry into the prevalence of spiking in the UK. And this week, Jason Harwin, the National Police Chief's Council drugs lead, says it's not just drinks being spiked with drugs, but there have been confirmed over a 1,000 reports of needle spiking in the last few months alone. What I can say between September and to this week, in terms of needle spiking, the exact figures are 1,382 reported incident crimes of needle spiking throughout the UK, so not just one area throughout the UK. We have got some hotspot locations, which I know we did a submission to yourself to tell you where that lo- what that looks like at the moment. And what we can say is of today, we've got 14 secondary offences that we believe are linked to, to needle spiking as well. So where they've gone on to commit sexual offences, serious sexual offences, which sexual offence in itself is a serious, but even more serious sexual offences, all the way through to theft-related uh, robbery offences as well. So in terms of prevalence, we clearly have got an issue here in the UK. Importantly, we recognise the impact it has on, on the victims, and particularly those that have not got confidence to come forward. And we recognise the challenges in sometimes about reporting the issues around, around spiking. And certainly from a law enforcement perspective, the needle spiking has enhanced our understanding of what the issue is at the moment. And certainly in terms of our joint response, not just in law enforcement, but with wider partnerships, it's enhanced since we've been on this since October. That was Jason Harwin from the National Police Chiefs Council. He's the drugs lead there. So what we thought we'd do, he was giving evidence to MPs uh, this week, so what we thought we'd do is pick through some of the evidence that MPs have been hearing to try and get a sense of the scale of the problem. Dame Diana Johnson chairs the Home Affairs Select Committee and joins me. Good morning. 
Good morning. Um, what have you made of the evidence? We'll hear from some of the people who've been speaking to you in a moment. What have you made overall of the evidence uh, that you've heard about spiking, particularly given that, you know, last summer we, we, you know, we heard lots of reports of spiking. It was quite difficult to get a handle on. Is there more of it happening or is it just more people reporting it? Well, that's the issue, really, that we don't actually know because the data that's available to us to look and to see what's happening is rather patchy and there is no national database that you can look to. There's also a problem that people don't report and that is um, because they think perhaps they're not sure what's happened to them. Uh, it may be that they're ashamed. It may be they feel the police won't do anything if they report. So at the moment, um, although the committee has now concluded its its hearing sessions, um, we are going to write a report. We haven't decided on our recommendations, but I think the most striking thing to come out of all the evidence sessions is just that we're not really sure and we need to get a grip on data. We need to encourage people to come forward and report. We need to have a much more joined up approach uh, to what's happening. So I, I think at the moment it, it's the uncertainty really, but I think what's happened since last October and we've had those really very striking figures around um to, to use a pun uh, around needle injections that uh, that is obviously of great concern to the committee. We know that drink spiking has gone on for many years. We know that. But we also were rather taken aback by this new development in spiking in terms of injection uh, spiking. And that that is very worrying. And because particularly on the so there's you know, like you said, drink spiking, sadly, that's that's gone on for a long time. And that can be, you know, drugs being put into drinks or, you know, extra shots and so on, getting someone more more drunk. Pretend, you know, sometimes people think that's funny. Sometimes there's a more, you know, um, uh, malicious intent, you know, and it can lead to assault and so on. But on the on the the needle spiking, are you sure now that this is a real thing? Because there was some concern last year, wasn't there? there was sort of you know things spread on social media. No one could really get a handle on was this a, you know, a lot of people were very worried about it, but was it really happening? But when we've got these figures, 1,300 reports of needle spiking made to police forces in six months. Um, are, you, are, you, are you sure now this is a, a real thing which is happening in nightclubs? Well, I think the fact that the police who gave evidence uh, to the committee this week, uh, Jason Harwin, uh, made it clear that the police are taking this very seriously and that uh, there, there are now people coming forward and reporting. Now, it may be that... Uh, the, the, there has been an increase, particularly at the end of last year, which seems to be now tailing off a little bit. Uh, but I do think that it is, it seems to be a genuine thing that the police are very uh, keen to look at and consider. And one of the issues that I asked about was, was this unique to us in the UK? What's happening in the rest of the world? And the police officer said that it looked like uh, it was fairly unique to the UK. There was some evidence in Australia of spiking through injection, but at the moment, so it seems to be the UK. And, and that's, that's very, interesting why this has happened to us in the UK. Um, I think certainly there is a view that uh, it's in areas of the country where there are larger student populations um, and it's it, it, so, the, so that's something to bear in mind and the fact that you know after Covid we've got nightclubs and, and people going out more and, and you also reference why people were doing this and 
that's one of the other issues we wanted to address in our inquiry. Why is this happening? And we know that in the past, there's always there, there could be a sexual motive for spiking someone's drink. Um, there could be a financial motive as well, if, if you want to get hold of someone's bank cards and clear out their bank account. But there also seemed to be a view that people were doing this for fun, for kicks, to see their perhaps their friends or their mates, um, you know, jolly up a bit or loosen up a bit if they were given yeah. um, drugs or their, their alcohol, uh, extra shots were put into their alcohol. So there's the whole of that that needs to be looked at. So why is the why are perpetrators, why are the people doing this? What's their motivation? And, and we know that that needs to be looked at more as well. Uh, let's hear from them, from someone who you took evidence from, uh, Zara Owens, a, a student in Nottingham. And she believes she was spiked via injection last October. So um, what happened to me was I was at a nightclub with my friends. I hadn't had much to drink that night. And there was a specific time I thought it was, you know, going to be, you know, like any old normal night out with my friends. But I remember going to the club, going to the bar, going to, going to the photo booth and toilets with them. And then from then on, from then to being at home, I've got no memory of the entire event, which is a, something that very... That never happens to me. And it gave me quite a feeling of scarce and horror in the morning because I woke up with a really sharp, agonising pain in my leg, which left me limping. And I thought, this is a bit strange. I don't know how this could have happened. And then when I touched that part of my leg, I found a pinprick mark. And this pinprick mark was the epicentre of all pain. So that's combined with the lack of memory that I have really, really confused me. And as I have heard of people being spiked via injections through social media and not through the news, I thought that could have happened to me. And then over time, I researched a little bit more and I thought, yes, that this is what happened to me. And it's, it's a scary thing to really admit to have had done to you because you always, when you go out, you protect yourself, you cover your bottles, you check your drinks, you never leave them unattended. But the fact that someone has injected a narcotic into my body without me being aware is terrifying. And it makes me, you know, when I go clubbing, I have to keep aware of my surroundings and my friends' surroundings to see if anyone's acting a little bit malicious or suspicious at all. But that's not what we should be doing on a night out. We should be enjoying ourselves. We should be having fun, letting our hair down. But with these added risks, you can't do that. That was uh, Zara Owen, who's a student in Nottingham, giving evidence to the Select Committee. We've still got Diana jo- Dame Diana Johnson, who uh, the Labour MP chairs the Home Affairs Select Committee, uh, with us. Let's bring in Craig Harmon, uh, who's from St John's Ambulance, uh, which is obviously the volunteer-led first aid service. Hi, Craig. Good morning. Um, I know that St John's Ambulance have been putting together, you know, your own evidence of the prevalence of spiking, because sometimes it's your your staff and volunteers who have to pick up the pick up the pieces. What what have you found? Indeed, we um, we have uh, treatment centres in many city centre locations supporting the nighttime economy and have done for many years. We started to become worried about an increasing number of patients that presented to our services that believed that they had been spiked. So we started to collect data a couple of months ago and 7% of the patients that presented to us um, believed that they had been spiked. So we're really encouraging people to uh, look out and look after each other when they are on their nights out. But importantly, that if people believe that they have been spiked, to not feel ashamed of that and to step forwards and indeed seek help. Of course, if we're there, um, you know, we'll, uh, you know, we won't judge you. You know, we'll just look to provide you with care and, and to signpost you to the right places. But of course, if we're not, you know, in an emergency, you know, if somebody is 
unwell or visibly you know acting differently you know please do call 999 but of course 111 will be available for most people to provide some advice and indeed to get you to the places that you need to be to get the care that you need and um, if you believe that you have been spiked uh, and what, what are we talking about because i mean sometimes we you know and i know when you've been out and somebody has too much to drink and they might say oh, i think i had my drink spiked and that's why i've got a terrible hangover or that's why i was more drunk than i was and it might just be that they drank too much what are we talking about when you think that actually there is a a genuine spiking incident uh there what what are the signs that you look out for well this is the difficulty because actually the signs of people that are suffering the effects of drink or drugs or those that believe they've been spiked will often appear very similar they will appear intoxicated actually many people will just believe that they've drunk too much and you can't confirm whether somebody has been spiked or not unless you've had blood tests and, and, and you know, and laboratories come back and confirm, um, you know, the presence of substances uh, in that person's body. You know, what we're encouraging people to do is, you know, if you're feeling unwell, if you've got a friend that's acting strangely, you know, out of character, you believe they've been spiked or in, you know, the story that we've just heard where somebody believes that they've, you know, been injected, seek help. Do not be ashamed. Seek help. Um, ask uh, venue security staff um, and in the absence of security staff, in the absence of St John, you know, we'd encourage in an emergency to dial 999, uh, but absolutely 111 um, as a first point of contact um, if you believe um, that or have any concerns about being spiked. Right. Craig, it's really good to speak to you. Craig Harmon there from St John Ambulance. Um, just bringing you back in, uh, D- uh, Diana Johnson, um, from what you're hearing, do you think that there are going to... I think the police were talking about the possibility of, you know, we need a um, a sort of a, a, a specific criminal offence uh, address. Because currently, if it is, if it is you know, investigated by the police, it's sort of dealt with under other, other laws, isn't it? That's right. And if, say, there's a sexual assault that occurs and uh, someone might have had or believes that they their drink was spiked, um, the, the offence around the sexual assault will take primacy. That's what the it will be recorded under. So I think um, the police are saying, as are many other people who work in this sector, uh, particularly uh, Dawn Dines, who runs a charity that's been trying to get a specific offence for some time. I think the view is if we had a specific spiking uh, offence that was recorded, that would help us with our data collection. We'd know then how many people were reporting and you'd be able to follow that through and see how many prosecutions and convictions there were. So I think that seems to me uh, we've heard very strong evidence on that. The committee, as I say, hasn't made any recommendations yet, but we will certainly be considering that as a positive step to help us all understand and know what is going on in the nighttime economy around spiking in particular. And um, just before I let you go, um, what's the sort of timescale on this? You've taken all the evidence, you know, some of which we've heard today. What would be the timescale of you producing a report and then hopefully seeing some sort of response from the government? Well, of course, we will aim to get a report written as quickly as we can. Um, I'm hoping in the next few months. And then that has to go to be it was obviously published and then it goes to government for a response. So uh, then we will see what the government say in terms of our recommendations. And then it is really down to the government uh, to take action if they feel that uh, any of our recommendations need to have legislation and the law change, then that that's obviously for the government to make time to do that. But certainly in the next couple of months, I would hope we'd have a report out on this. It's really good to speak to you. Dame Diana Johnson, there, Labour MP, who chairs the Home Affairs Select Committee. Thanks very much for that. Um, what about if you're running a nightclub and you want people to come in and enjoy themselves uh, and uh, hopefully stay safe? Well, Peter Marks is the owner of Recom, which is a network of major nightclub brands across the country. Hi, Peter. Hello there. 
After, I mean, it's been a pretty tough time for nightclubs as it is the past uh, two years because of uh, the pandemic. How how worried are you about this apparent uh, issue with with spiking? Well, you're right uh, to say that we are worried. We uh, we wouldn't have a business if we weren't because we've got to try and make sure that people feel safe. Um, uh, and uh, the uh, jump in the spiking incidents last uh, autumn, or should I say the reported spiking incidents, because, of course, we're all a little bit in the dark as to exactly uh, where this will land, uh, was absolutely no good at all uh, uh, for our business. And I'm not just talking about us as the largest nightclub operator, but for every nightclub in the country. Uh, So, you know, obviously we're concerned. Um, Just to give you a bit of a flavour here, uh, because it is a conundrum for us as operators. We want to be seen as safe. We, we, um, we search nearly everybody that comes in a Recon UK nightclub. We have metal detectors and uh, we have medics on every major session in about 90% of our nightclubs. We have 7 million customers a year, or at least we used to have 7 million (laughs) pre-pandemic. I'm hoping it will be 7 million again uh, uh, once we get going. Uh, But uh, having searched probably around 50, 60% of those uh, people, we've never found a needle ever. And neither importantly have the cleaners. And um, there's no question we understand drink spiking is a thing. We're perplexed by the needle thing. Um, and what we're worried about is that you know, the chap on from the St. John's Ambulance was right to say that our medics are very non-judgmental. We don't want to ever say to anybody, uh, you know, we don't believe you, you just had too much to drink. You know, we're, we're very open-minded. But what we found um, sort of right on the shop floor back in October and November is that everybody was coming in saying, I've been spiked. We bring a police officer in who would then search to see if they'd actually had a, a, a needle uh, a, a hole in them. And in fact, in no occasion when the police uh, were looking over people's bodies, uh, did they ever find anything? That's not to say it hasn't happened. It's just that we couldn't see the evidence. But the problem was that this was actually stopping often uh, people admitting that they may have taken a substance or had too much to drink. And all we wanted to do is look after them because we don't want to be judgmental. And, and I really mean that. And I actually went into a club in Nottingham one of ours, uh, and the police were there, and I said, look, you know, how, how, how's the, the young lady? She was clearly in a mess, and, and they just said, we're, we're stretched all over the place tonight, um, because Nottingham was really sort of was the epicentre at the time. Um, uh, we, we've once again found there's no mark on her, and after about half an hour, she's finally admitted that, well, her, her boyfriend admitted that she'd actually taken ketamine. Um, now, uh, what that worried us is that if you know if she he hadn't uh, been honest uh, uh, and uh, sort of told us this, we may have been trying to treat the wrong thing. All we want to do is yeah, make sure yeah. that people get into trouble. We sort them out. And actually, if I go back to around about 2015, uh, in my company, we had a young lad who uh, turned up at our door who'd been in the club and he was in a real mess. Um, and his uh, his friends wouldn't say anything uh, about He's just had too much to drink. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Eventually, after about an hour and a half, this guy was in such a bad way. We called the ambulance. The ambulance said to his friends, look, has he taken anything? Yes, I've taken ketamine. Or no, his friends admitted that that's what it was. And he died. 
He died. Oh, and, and that thing sort of guides us. That's why we're so keen on making sure that we want to just look after people, whatever it is. And what worries me is that needle spiking has become such a sort of a, a, a thing that so many people are now saying, I, I think I've been spiked by a needle. But it's stopping us, someone's getting to the nub of what might be the problem. And I'm not saying that it doesn't exist because I can't prove one way or another. All I can say is I've not seen evidence I know that the police are gathering evidence. We've got to see what happens out of this. But, you know, it's very tough because we want to run responsible businesses. We want people to feel safe. We want people to keep coming back. And the fact that this seems to only happen in the UK and only seem to be in nightclubs uh, is anathema to me. It really is. And I've been in the business 40 years. It's, it's, It's really interesting. And it's good to get your perspective on that. And and. Because it's such a, you know, when because of social media and because of, you know, news stories and that sort of thing, it, it becomes, you know, it goes up in people's minds. And then, you know, but then trying to get separate that from uh, reality and the fact that quite often, like you said, you are dealing with people who have drunk too much or may have taken something they shouldn't have done. And actually, you know, they might be embarrassed in whatever way and saying, well, I've been spiked. That's, a, you know, that's a different thing. Peter, it's really good to speak to you. Um, best of luck with, um, you know, the coming months as hopefully people come back to your, your nightclubs. So Peter Mark... Peter Marks, who owns Recom, which is a major network of nightclubs uh, across the country. Now, let's turn our attention uh, to students, because one of the, the these stories really bubbled up from uh, students, and students actually ended up boycotting some nightclubs uh, last summer. Newcastle's got one of the biggest numbers of spiking cases reported. Well, Elizabeth Marriage is from the It Happens Here Society at Newcastle University Student Union, which is a support network for uh, sexual assault survivors. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. Uh, we've also got Julie Spencer, the head of student wellbeing at the University of Lincoln. Hi, Julie. Morning. Uh, nice to have you with us, um, Elizabeth. Your give us your perspective on all of this. It's, it still feels like even after all this evidence being taken by this committee, still trying to get to the, the 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 nub of what is really going on. Is it more reporting of what was already happening? Is this a new thing? Um, what's your perspective uh, at Newcastle University? And you know, dealing with survivors of sexual assault. That's obviously you know, the worst possible outcome from one of these spiking incidences? Um, Yeah, well, from my perspective, there's definitely been a massive increase um, in cases of it. It feels like we hear it weekly um, that somebody we know has been spiked. Uh, My society recently did a survey and 88.4% of people said either they had been themselves or knew somebody had been spiked. Um, And actually, as much as there could be a rise in it being reported, the vast majority of people don't want to support um, to report, sorry, um, they have said that the police have been dismissive. Um, the hospital has been dismissive. It's been unclear how to. Um, they've had to push really hard to have their blood tested. There's also a concern that they're not being believed, even when they've had very little to drink or nothing to drink. They're just being repeatedly asked, are you sure you weren't drunk? Are you sure you hadn't taken something? Um, and that, you know, it feels like somebody's trying to invalidate their account when, you know, they're saying no once and they're being repeatedly asked that question. Yeah, repeatedly challenged. Um, uh, Julie, you at the University of Lincoln, you've been trying to offer students rapid drug testing uh, to try and, you know, get to the bottom of that, haven't you? Yeah, we have, yeah. So, um, I mean, we we come in from, the, you know, we take the safety of our students incredibly serious. And I suppose for us, we've recognised the impact really that not only has the pandemic had on our student population over the couple of years but then this latest thing around spiking so not only are our students not being able to go out now they're worried to go out so yeah as a service we we sort of spoke about it and as student well-being we support 
mental well-being and that was one of the things we were seeing that actually students were becoming anxious around going out um, so we did some collaborative work with one of our academics who's program lead for our chemistry school um, our student union and Lincolnshire police and we decided to have a go at doing some urine testing so we started in October last year um, and yeah as you say Matt they're rapid drug tests so at the moment we're testing for seven different groups of drugs and we're just looking to extend that testing even more now on the advice from Lincolnshire Police but what we're finding Matt, is that that reassurance it's giving students because they get their results in five minutes so again I'm not suggesting they're not being spiked at all we're just saying they're not being spiked with the drugs we're testing for so it could well be levels of alcohol. But I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? And, and, and um, you know having that reassurance answering the question you know because particularly if you know, when alcohol's involved, you don't always know yourself, um, you know, and actually having it sort of there in black and white and having that question answered is sort of reassuring as much as anything. Elizabeth, I touched on the, the boycotts that happened last year. Um, is that Was that something that happened in Newcastle too? Is it something that, that's still going on of, of students boycotting nightclubs on certain nights of the week to try and make the point they want them to be safer? It did happen here um, and it was successful. Some nightclubs did. Um, make changes and make promises and not all of them have stuck to them unfortunately which is disappointing Um, it hasn't really carried on and that is the difficult thing you can't really ask students who've been in a pandemic (laughs) for over a year to um, just not go clubbing anymore it's just not a realistic thing to do what Um, what were you asking for what is it you'd like to see happen I mean it was interesting um, uh, just hearing about uh, what Peter was doing, you know, the, the searches and the metal detectors and all. I mean, clearly that's a big, that's a big old, you know, uh, chain of nightclubs. They've obviously got lots of investment, that sort of thing. It's not always the case in every nightclub, is it? Yeah, no, exactly. Unfortunately not. Uh, I think we love, you know, drink covers over drinks, um, stuff to test your drinks. Um, but I think the most important thing is for the staff to be trained to um, look out for people, yeah. uh, to be welfare trained so that, you know, that if somebody's in trouble, they can get them safely home or they can call the emergency services instead of just kicking them out because they assume they're too drunk. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.